Welcome to another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada. And today we're finishing up five days of looking at a bundle of judgments that God calls in the Bible his four severe judgments. I started with an introduction some days ago and then looked at number one, the judgment of sword, number two, plague, number three, famine, yesterday, and today is the fourth in this bundle called uh, beasts. In other translations, these this bundle of four are called the Lord's four severe judgments, and they're mentioned several times, but I've been looking at Ezekiel 14.21, particularly, when the which says, for thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four severe acts of judgment, sword, famine, wild beasts, and pestilence, to cut it off from man and beast. Wesley's note says of that verse, how much more if they could not be able to keep off one of the four, how much less would they be able to keep off all four when I commissioned them all to go at once? It is a very dread situation when all four of these particular judgments are unleashed. If you read Revelation 6, you'll see that the four are unleashed all at once or in very rapid succession. Jesus called that time the worst time on earth there ever had been or ever will be, Matthew 24, 21. You can see the four seal judgments um, in Revelation 6, where these four particular judgments are unleashed. Today we're taking a look at the fourth, which is the biblical judgment of beasts. And what does that mean? Well, let's look at Revelation 6 verses seven and eight. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now that upcoming time in Revelation has not occurred yet, but it's very sobering to think about. The Greek word for beasts is just that, the generic term that's always used for wild animal. I've written about death by beasts before one time, and I'll link that in the show notes. So while we have always had, since beginning of history, had war and famines and epidemic diseases, death by beasts is more unusual, less frequent. Let's take a look at man's relationship to beasts since the beginning in the garden, through the flood, afterwards in history, up through the tribulation and ending at the millennium. Because our relationship with the wild animals uh, does change throughout time. When Adam was created, one of the jobs God gave him to do is to name all the beasts of the earth. That's Genesis 2, 19 to 20. 
At that time, before the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, the beasts were friendly and herbivorous. Genesis 1, 29 to 30. Man was still sovereign over beasts, but it was not a bloody relationship. After the fall, the first death was actually an animal, since God gave Adam and Eve animal skins to wear. Genesis 3:21. Animals then also became meat for humans. Genesis 7:2, Genesis 10:9. The flood came, and after the flood waters receded, the relationship between man and beasts changed once again. God put the fear and dread of man into the beasts. That's Genesis 9-2. In the millennial kingdom, he will reverse that curse, and everything will be reverted back to the original state of peaceful coexistence between man and animal. For example, Isaiah 11, six to nine says, children can put their hand into a snake's hole and not be bitten. The wolf will lay down with the lamb and the lion shall be tame. But before that time, between the receded floodwaters and the peace of the millennium, It seems there will come another change of the relationship between man and beast, although this one is more implied rather than stated. It will occur in the tribulation. It seems that in the tribulation, the future time of judgment upon the earth, all the earth, similar to the flood, the Lord will, it seems, have removed the fear and dread of man from the wild animals. Now, I can't point to a specific scripture that says that explicitly, but implicitly, I gather that the progression of man's relationship with beasts changes from a contentious one as it is now, but with their animal's fear removed. For example, If a quarter of the world dies by the aforementioned plagues, and one of those plagues is beasts, it seems that there will be a lot of hunting going on, and not just man upon beast, but beast upon man. Today, if a beast does become a man killer, it has to be killed. God said in Genesis 9-5, that from the man-killing beasts, he will require capital punishment. In Exodus 21, 28, we read that if an ox gores a man, that animal is to be killed and its flesh not eaten. But if the animal is previously in the habit of goring and the owner has been warned, and then the animal kills a man or woman, then the animal and the owner are to be killed. Exodus 21, 29. Did you ever wonder why the animals that could do us the most harm don't simply hunt us down and eat us like all the time? But they don't. When I was in Big Bend National Park in Texas, hiking in the Chisos Mountains some years ago, rangers told us that if we come upon a mountain lion, to stand tall and throw stones at it. 
the lion would leave us alone. Now, I'm glad we never had to test that, but the idea is that the lion would see you as a bigger threat and leave. That would be the fear and dread of man put into the lion. Even today, if a wild animal kills a man, the rangers or the zookeepers or whoever is guarding that animal usually kills that animal. Now, in most cases, that person, like a ranger, is not responding explicitly to God's instructions laid down in Exodus 21, but they instinctively are. If an animal kills a person, it means they have lost the fear and dread and is all the more dangerous to humans. I read an article some years ago that in those same Chisos Mountains in Big Bend National Park, some years ago, the Austin newspaper reported that there had been a mountain lion attack. The people chased it off by throwing a backpack at it. However, that report made another family who camped there um, hyper aware. So they decided to fold up their tent and stay in the lodge instead. And that when they went to the restaurant for dinner from the lodge room, they held their child's hand, one parent on either side. And they walked on the lit walkway between the two populated buildings. However, the lion attacked the boy anyway, dragging him right from his parents' hands to a nearby bush. But then the parents then attacked the lion. And the boy is okay. Um, he had some injuries, but he's okay. And again, this was a few years ago. But rangers said it was highly unusual for a mountain lion to attack on the pavement between populated buildings. They said if that animal was caught, that it would have to be killed. War brings famine to animals too, not just people. Their natural habitats are disrupted and food for them gets hard to find. And that stress, that hunger stress, often leaves animals no choice but to start looking at humans as food and attacks in those areas where there had been war or famine increase. John MacArthur preached on the Revelation 6 verses 7-8. He preached in part, and I quote, the most deadly creature on the face of the earth, not a snake, not a lion, not an alligator, a rat. MacArthur says, quote, historically, the deadliest creature on the face of the earth. Why? Rats are annually responsible for the loss of billions of dollars of food in America alone and death all over the world. Rats infested with bubonic plague killed a third of the population of Europe in the 14th century. That's Encyclopedia Americana's own figure. Rats can carry as many as 35 diseases at once. And amazingly, if 95% of the rat population is exterminated in a given area, it will replace itself in less than a year. They have killed more people than all the wars of history, and it always makes its home where men dwell. It's the end quote from John MacArthur talking about Revelation 6. 
Well, death by rats is certainly a likely possibility, more than likely, given the history I just read to you. But uh, you can imagine um, the rats bringing a killing disease after the catastrophic events of Revelation 6 that are prophesied to occur. So when Revelation mentions death by beasts, it could be concerning the plagues that rats bring. But I think it's even more than that. Yes, each seal or plague or judgment that's unleashed is bad enough, but how will it, bad will it be when all four are unleashed at the same time? Terrible, terrible. But fortunately, in God's mercy, he made a way for his beloved sheep to escape all these things. Salvation in the church age, a.k.a. the age of grace. Judgments in the tribulation will be delivered, quote, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, unquote. As Daniel hears in his vision in chapter 9, verse 24. So Daniel is learning why the Lord will send tribulation judgments, which is to finish allowing sin to complete itself. So we are sinners whose rightful place is hell after death to be punished for our sin crimes against God. But if we ask the Lord to forgive our sins before we die, understanding him as Lord and Savior who came to earth to live the sinless life so he could be the perfect atonement and then was slain for our sins and was accepted by God of that sacrifice and brought out of death to life, then we will not be in the tribulation when the whole earth will be judged for its sins. Our sins will have been pardoned. So Jesus will sweep us up to heaven in our glorified bodies along the way and allow us to be in his presence forever. Do not put off your repentance. Intending to repent still means you are still as much of an enemy of God as the fist-shaking atheist. How much better will it be when he calls his sheep home to the marriage supper of the Lamb in perfect Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, by the living waters in the street of gold? Don't you want to be there, your sins pardoned and forgotten? Putting off repenting means you choose the four severe judgments on earth and eternal judgment upon death. If you are not for him, you are against him. Matthew 12, 30. I have found a multitude of peace and blessings in living for him. And I hope you will think about it because judgment will come. So don't think about it for too long. Well, this has been another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I thank you for listening, and I hope you have a thoughtful day. Um.